0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Is it a little cold? I'm a little cold. Is anybody else cold? Maybe we, I don't know if we have the air on. If you can check, maybe we can turn the air off or, or the fan or something. If somebody could help me with that, I'd appreciate it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, we are going through our uh, series here on Wednesday nights as we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians 7 is uh, it's an interesting chapter because The Apostle Paul basically takes about 40 verses and he goes through and he gives advice to every group that you can think of. He gives advice to the singles. He gives advice to the married couples. He gives advice to people that have been divorced. He gives advice to widows. And uh, he also just gives some general advice for everybody. And last week, uh, we didn't go through the chapter verse by verse. Last week, uh, we kind of skipped around and looked at the advice that he gave to singles and married couples this week. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to just kind of skip around. But we're going to look at the advice that he gives divorced people, divorcees, and the advice he gives to widows. And then we'll end the chapter by going through the general advice that he gives to everybody. That kind of applies to everybody. So I'd like you to notice, we'll start with the advice for the divorced people or the divorcees. Uh, look, look down at verse number 10 there, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10. Notice what he says. He says, and unto the married I command... Yet not I, but the Lord. So he's saying, this is not, because remember he gave advice to singles that he said, this is not a commandment of God. This is something that you could take as advice from me. Of course, we know it's inspired, but this is not something that God is commanding. Now he's saying, this is not that. He says, this is a command for everybody. This is something that the Lord has commanded everybody. He says this, and here's, here's the first piece of advice he gives. He says, let not the wife depart from her husband. Look at verse 11. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or, to, or be reconciled to her husband. And, notice what he says, let not the husband put away his wife. So the first piece of advice that he gives to uh, people that are either divorced or potentially divorced is, number one, do not get divorced. You know, don't get divorced. Don't get separated. And I realize that this is something that Today is not preached, and many people don't want to talk about it. It's not popular because of the fact that divorce rates are so high in our country. You know, anytime I stand up to preach on this, I'm going to be talking to a crowd that 40% of you have, you know, unfortunately gone through divorce or things like that. Go, to, You're there in First Corinthians. Keep your place. That's our text for uh, this, uh, this evening. But go to Romans chapter number 7 if you just flip backwards. And let me go ahead and say this. Because of the fact that there are so many divorced people in our society, that if if you've been divorced... You know, that is a sin like any other sin. God can forgive it. You can move on. There is, you know, life after divorce and God can use you. And if you've been remarried, then, you know, take this advice for your current marriage. Do not get divorced. Do not be separated. You know, but this is something that God, that we need to understand. This is what the Bible teaches, that we are to not be divorced we are not the wife he says let not the wife depart from her husband he says let not the husband put away his wife and that term put away basically is the biblical way uh, of saying the word divorce the word divorce is used in the bible as well but that's what that means you're there in romans 7 look at verse number 1 romans chapter 7 and verse 1 he says this know ye not brethren for i speak to them that know the law how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth Verse two. For the woman which hath an husband, notice what he says, is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So I want you to notice that the Bible teaches here, and in many places, but this is one of them, that marriage is till death do us part. He says, look, you are bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth." He says, if your husband's alive, you're bound to him. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law. And I want you to keep your place there in Romans 7, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. But go to uh, Malachi chapter number 2. So keep your place there in Romans. We're going to come back to it but go to Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. If you're there in Matthew, just right before Matthew, you got Malachi. And let me say this again. Here's what I know. You know, people sometimes they'll get offended because you preach about divorce. And they think like, "Oh, well, pastor's preaching on divorce and I'm divorced and I don't like that." You know, number one, if we took that attitude for everything, I couldn't I couldn't get up here and preach on anything. Cuz all of you have done, you know, every, you know, I mean, hopefully not everything, but you, know, you guys have done a lot, all right? <laughs> I'm looking at this crowd and I can see that this crowd has a history, right? So just because people have done these things in the past doesn't mean we can't preach on it or that we should not preach on it. And here's what I know about divorced people. If you were honest, and most of you are, you know, if we asked you, is divorce something that you're glad you went through? If you could go back and avoid it, would you? Or let's ask it this way. Is divorce something that you would want for your own children? I mean, those of you that have gone through the pain and the struggle, most Americans will say that bankruptcy and divorce are the most stressful and worst things that ever happened in their life. And they would never, even those that have been divorced, they would never want it for their own children. So here's the thing. If you wouldn't want it for your children, then you should be happy that you have a pastor that gets up and says, Hey, thus saith the Lord God, don't separate. Don't get a divorce. Because, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help your children. To not go down that road and to realize that the Bible says, let not the wife depart from her husband. The Bible says, let not the husband put away his wife. And those of you that are young people need to realize that the Bible teaches that marriage is a lifelong commitment. So before you go down that road and say, I do, make sure that you're saying I do for the right person because you're be stuck in that person for the rest of your life if you follow what the Bible says. Because the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. You're there in Malachi. Go to chapter 2. Look at verse number 14. This is how God feels about divorce. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 14. He says this, Yet ye say, wherefore? Notice what he says. He says, Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion And the wife of thy covenant. I want you to notice that the Bible is literally saying here that when you got married, that when you stood up and you made vows and you made a commitment, you know, before God and before men, whether it was at a church house or Reno, you know, wherever it was, when you made those vows and you entered into a covenant with your companion, notice what he says there in verse 14: The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. God Himself self was present at that union and he witnessed the commitment that the covenant that you entered into verse 15 the bible says this and did not he make one that day when you said till death do us part when you say i do when you said you know that you would take him and that you would take her for better or worse in sickness and health you know when you would do those things he the bible says that god took two and he made them one the Bible says that God made you uh, no longer twain, but one. And that's why the Bible says, What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Yet had he, Notice what he says. Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith. Notice what the Bible says. That he who's he, that's the Lord, that he hateth putting away for one covereth violence and with his garment and saith unto the Lord. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. I want you to notice that the Bible says that God hateth putting away. What does that mean? That literally means God hates divorce. And think about this. Think about it. Because the Bible just told us here that the Lord hath been witness. Imagine if you're God and you by your word had bound yourself to be witness to every wedding that ever happens on this earth. I mean, imagine that, you know, uh, and, he's, and he hears these vows and he hears these people make these promises and then he watches 40 to 60% of them go back on their vows and 40 to 60% of them quit on their marriage. I mean, I would imagine that if I had to be witness to 100 weddings and I saw 40 of them to 60 of them get divorced, I'd probably start hating divorce too. And the Bible says here that God was a witness at your wedding and that God was a witness to your vows. And the Bible says that he hateth putting away. So look, it, it, you know, the advice that the apostle Paul gives us here under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost is this, for married people or those that are considering divorce, the first piece of advice he gives is do not get divorced. Do not get separated. And you young people that are not yet married, please realize that marriage is an important thing, that you are committing to a lifelong commitment with that individual. Don't go into that, you know, with anything else in mind. Realize when you go into marriage that it is so death do us part. Keep your place there in Romans uh, 7, but uh, you're, you're in Malachi. Make sure you have your place in Romans 7. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So the first piece of advice for divorcees is do not divorce. Do not divorce or separate. Because sometimes people say like, oh, we're not getting divorced, but we're just going to uh, separate. But it's interesting because he covers both. He says, uh, he talks about the wife not departing from her husband, and then he says that the husband should not put away his wife. So don't get divorced, don't get separated. Look, sometimes people counsel when they have trouble, they counsel them like, oh, just get get separated. Don't get divorced, but just, you know, go get an apartment somewhere, spend some time apart. That is the worst advice you could give people that are struggling in marriage. All right, don't separate, don't divorce, you're one flesh, stick with it. But here's the second piece of advice that the Apostle Paul gives to divorcees. He says, if you get divorced or if you get separated, because obviously this is the life we live. We minister to people and we deal with people that are divorced. We have people that come to this church that have been divorced. And look, you're not a second-class citizen. God can forgive you and you can move on. And God has a purpose and a plan for you. And it's, you know, just confess it and forsake it and don't do it again. But here's the advice that he gives to those that are divorced or separated and have not yet remarried. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 11. Notice what he says. He says this, but and if she depart. He says, look, if she leaves you, because at the end of the day, there's only so much control that you can have over some situations, right? I mean, if I come home, you know, tomorrow after work or whatever, I come home and everything's gone, the van's gone, all the the kids are gone, you know, everything's gone, the house. you know, uh, what what was I supposed to do, right? Now, obviously, divorce and separation doesn't happen like that. You know, you go down a road and obviously, you know, there's events that lead to that. But the point is this, if at the end of the day they leave, you know, what are your options after that? Well, look at what the Bible says. And people don't like this, but this is what God says. He says, but, and if she depart, he says you have two options after divorce and separation. Here's option number one, let her remain unmarried. Here's the thing, you, you can end up separating and you can end up divorcing and actually, you know, there is a godly option for you and you say, what is that option? Is that it's to remain unmarried. And and the reason that I believe that God says this, is because often, you know, preachers like me will get criticized when we preach against divorce and we preach against uh, people getting divorced. And then this is what everybody always wants to throw in my face. They always say like, well, what about some woman that's being abused? You know, now, unfortunately, in our society, that word gets thrown around a lot. And I would say that most of the time that people talk about abuse, it's not really abuse. And that's, and that's not a criticism. That's just unfortunate that people would throw around that word when it's not really being done because when it is being done, it just makes it all seem you know, like it's not that serious. But you know what? If someone legitimately is in an abusive relationship, if they've got a husband that is hurting them or hurting their children, or for like I've, I've known of women that married reprobates, you know, they found out that her, their husband was a pedophile. They find out that their husband was a sodomite, you know, or things like that. You say, what advice would you give those women? Well, look, I would never tell a woman who's in a dangerous situation to stay in that situation, I would never tell a woman who's married to a pedophile to stay in a home with the pedophile and and her children. You say, well, what would you tell her? I would tell her, separate and remain unmarried. But see, and here's the thing. I believe that the reason that God gives us options is because this is the litmus test of how serious it actually is. Because, you know, women will come to me or pastors like me and they'll say, oh, I'm in an abusive relationship. You know, uh, I want to separate. And, you know, they're already got their Christian mingle, you know, account up. And you're like, okay, well, look, if that's the case, then remain unmarried for the rest of your life. Is it that bad that you're, oh, no, I I don't know that I could remain unmarried? Then it must not be that bad. Because someone who's actually fearful for their life or fearful for their their children's lives, you know what, they're not sitting there thinking about the next guy they're going to date. So if, if this is not an option to you where you're willing to say, it's so bad that I'm willing to spend the rest of my life to remain unmarried, then you know what, it must not be that bad. Because your options spiritually are to remain unmarried. You say, well, what's, what's the other option? You said there was two. Well, look at it. Romans 7.13. So then, if... I'm sorry, verse 11. Romans, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 7.11. Excuse me. Don't go to Romans 7 yet. First Corinthians 7.11. He says, but if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Here's uh, option number two. Or, notice what he says, be reconciled to her husband. So, say, what are my options? Remain unmarried or reconciled to your spouse? Either remain unmarried or go back to your spouse. Those are your options, biblically, scripturally. That's what the Bible says. Go to Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 3. Romans chapter 7 and verse 3. Romans chapter 7 and verse 3. Notice what he says. And continue to keep your place there in Romans 7, because we're going to keep leaving it and coming back to it. Romans 7, 3. So then, if while her husband liveth... Notice what it says. She be married to another man. You say, well, what if I marry somebody else? Well, the Bible says she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. The only way that you can remarry scripturally and not be an adulteress or an adulterer is if your spouse dies, because it's till death do us part. Now, don't go and kill your spouse, all right, so you can get remarried. That's like, a war, that's like another sin, all right? That's a whole, you're going to end up on dateline or something like that, all right? But your options are this, you remain unmarried, or you reconcile to your husband. And you know, people come to us and they'll, they'll think like, oh, you're so mean and you're so angry, you know, but listen to me. This is why you want to be very careful about who you marry. Because you're literally, if you want to follow the Bible, are going to be stuck with this person for the rest of your life. It better be someone that you actually know and that you actually like. And, and you know, my heart goes out to these people. And, and you know, some lady, and I've li- we've known people like this, where this la- lady's been married for a couple of years. And she's like, my husband's a pedophile. And it's like, man, that's terrible. That's horrible. We feel bad for you but here's the thing you married him you know so i feel bad for you i wouldn't stay there but the bible says you got to remain unmarried and it's serious god takes this seriously that's why paul says you know if you're going to get divorced he says number one don't get divorced but if you're going to get divorced realize that your options are you say well my my wife left me or my husband left me what should i do if you want to be right with god you remain unmarried well that's not an option for me then be reconciled into your spouse those are your options number three Go, look at verse uh, 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Keep your place in Romans 7. We're going to come right back to it. Go to 1 Corinthians 7. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, 15 is probably the worst verse uh, as far as by the, the, ant, the, the for divorce crowd. Because unfortunately, we live in a, in a, in a society today where many Christians are pro-divorce where preachers will actually preach that it's okay to get a divorce. And their number one verse is 1 Corinthians 7.15. In fact, I would wager, and I don't wager, but I would wager that there are some people that are probably going to listen to this sermon online just to hear what I have to say about verse number 15. Because 1 Corinthians 7.15 is the pro-get you know a divorce uh, verse. And here's what you need to understand. When you study the Bible, you must study the Bible within its context. And you must understand that if there's a verse that sounds like it's saying something different than what the rest of the Bible says, you're probably misunderstanding that verse. And if you look at this verse, it'll be very clear what the Bible is actually teaching. Look at verse 15, 1 Corinthians 7, 15. But if the unbelieving depart, he says, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So people will look at this verse and say, see... If your spouse departs, you know, he says, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage. In such cases, and they'll take this to teach, you know. And people teach different things about it, but they'll say, you know, some people will take it more literally and say, well, you know, if you, if your spouse is not saved and they leave you, then you're good to go. Some people will just say, if they leave you for any reason, you know, you're good to go because he says he is not under bondage. Now, let me just tell you right now, I don't believe this verse is teaching that it's okay or that you're no longer considered marriage if your spouse departs. You know, that goes against everything that the Bible teaches. So the question is this. What is it that the Bible is teaching here? Well, I want you to notice something. Whenever the Apostle Paul, who is the one who wrote 1 Corinthians seven fifteen under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and of course he wrote most of the New Testament, whenever he talks about marriage, he uses a very specific word. Now, I want you to notice verse 15 again, all right? Everybody look down at it. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under, I want you to notice this word, bondage, all right? He says, if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. You are not under bondage in such cases. However, whenever he talks about marriage, he uses a different word. Look at verse 27. 1 Corinthians 7.27. Notice what he says when he's talking to married couples. He says, art thou, once don't you notice this word, bound. You see the word bound there? Now look, the word bondage and the word bound are two different words. They're not the same word. And for those of you that need it or care, they're actually two different Greek words too, all right? So it's not just that the King James translators messed up. These are two separate words. In verse 15, he says, you are not under bondage. In verse 27, he says, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loose." What's the, what is the opposite of being bound? It's being loose. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Look at verse 39, same chapter. 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine. Notice what he says. The wife... Is, notice this word, bound. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty. What does that mean? She's free to be married to whom she will. Notice what he says, only in the Lord. So, ladies, if your husband dies, you're free to get married. But there is a stipulation. Only in the Lord. You have to marry someone who's a believer. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But I want you to notice that when he talked about marriage, verse 27, he said, Art thou bound unto a wife? He said, Seek not to be loosed. In verse 29, he says, The wife is bound. Go back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse number 2. Romans chapter number 7. And verse number 2. Romans chapter 7 and verse 2. Notice what he says. For the woman, Romans 7.2, For the woman which hath a husband is, notice the word, bound, is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. Now, what does the word bound mean? The word bound, this this word bound is the past participle of the word bind, which means to tie or fasten something tightly together. Now, wouldn't it make sense when the Apostle Paul is talking about marriage that he says a wife is bound to her husband or that the husband is bound to her wife, that they are tied or fastened tightly together? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Obviously, you got married. When you get married, you become one flesh. You become one. You know, you are bound together. But I want you to notice in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 7, so in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 7, he said, bound. In verse 39, he said, bound. In Romans 7, he said, bound. But in 1 Corinthians 15, the verse that everybody wants to go to and say, See, you can get a divorce. You know, you're not, you're, 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 you're not in bondage. Notice he doesn't say, bound. He says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage. So the word bound means to be tied or fastened tightly together. What does the word bondage mean? The word bondage means the state of being a servant or a slave. It is a state in which you are under obligation to serve someone or something. That's what bondage is. You are obligated. You are obliged. You are being obligated to be in bondage. And here's what I need you to understand, all right? And here's Paul's third third point, third piece of advice. If your spouse leaves you, you need to understand the difference between bound, being bound, and being in bondage. All right. Here's what you need to understand. If your spouse leaves you, you are not under bondage. That's very clear, verse 15. But that doesn't mean that you are no longer bound. Do you understand what I just said? People say, oh well, you know, I'm not in bondage, so I can get remarried. Okay, I agree with you. You're not in bondage. But you know what you still are? You're still bound. He didn't say you're not bound. He said you're not in bondage. Whenever he talks about married couples, he uses the word bound, bound, bound. And then he gets to verse 15. He says, well, if your, if your wife departs, if your husband departs, you're no longer. He doesn't say bound. He says you're not under bondage. And bondage and bound are two different things. And I would agree with you. If your wife leaves you, if your husband leaves you, you are not under bondage, but that doesn't mean that you're not bound to your wife. You are bound to your wife, and you are bound to your husband until death do you part. So then the question is this, well, what does it mean to be under bondage? If being under bondage and being the unbound are two, are two different things, and they are because he's using two separate words, and it's not that he used one word in Romans and one. In 1 Corinthians, he used the word bound, 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 bondage. In Romans 7, he used the word bound, talking about married couples. So here's the question. Then what does it mean to be under bondage? Well, remember, when we study the Bible, we must study the Bible within its context. We must understand the context of what we are reading. So what is the context of the verse? Before we can get to verse 15, we obviously had 14 verses before that. So let's look at the context uh, quickly. We talked about this last week, but let's look at it again. Num- uh, verse number three, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verse three, 1 Corinthians chapter seven and verse three. Let the husband... Notice this word, render. You see the word render there? We talked about it last week. What's the word render mean? It means to provide, to give, or to present. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. What's the word benevolence means? It means to show goodwill, to be loving. I want you to notice the word do there. What's the word do mean? D-U-E. It's a required payment. The payment is due. Here's what he says. Let the husband Render, which means to provide, to give, or to present, unto the wife, due benevolence, meaning you owe that benevolence. That is a required payment. The word due is translated in our King James Bible and other places as the word debt, debtor, indebted, owe, owes. The word render is also translated as pay, paid, perform, reward. Here's what he's saying the husband owes, has to render to their wife due benevolence. The husband has to Pay, he's in debt to his wife to, do, uh, to give her benevolence. And likewise, in the same way as the husband, also the wife unto the husband. The wife has to render due benevolence. The wife has to, uh, is due giving benevolence to her husband. But that's not all. Look at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 7 4. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Notice verse 5. Okay? Nothing in the Bible is incidental, accidental, coincidental. I want you to understand he's using these words for a reason. In verse 5 he says, Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent. What is he saying? He's saying, your body doesn't belong to you as a husband, and your body doesn't belong to you as a wife. He says, you are stealing. That's what the word defraud means. Defraud means, you. You're, it's fraud. It means you're taking something, you're wrongfully taking something from someone that rightly belongs to them. And here's what the Bible is teaching. When a wife refuses to have, you know, a physical relationship with her husband, she is stealing from him something that rightfully belongs to him. She she is defrauding him when a husband chooses to not have a physical relationship with his wife he is stealing from her something that rightly belongs to her he is taking something from her and in the same way when a husband chooses not to render unto his wife due benevolence or when a wife chooses not to render to her husband due benevolence you are stealing something you owe them you owe them benevolence and you owe them a physical relationship. It's not a choice. You have to make the payment. That's the covenant you entered into in marriage. But then Paul says this: If your spouse leaves you, you're not in bondage. Meaning you don't owe them that anymore. Say, so what are you talking about? We've met people. We've met ladies that literally had this idea. You know, we. I knew of an individual. You know, years ago now, and they don't come to our church. You know, but I knew of an individual who's who her his a lady. Her husband left her. You know, he wasn't saved. She got saved later on. Her husband left her. You know, the guy was on drugs and the guy was this and the guy was that. And he would come back, you know, every few weeks or every few months or whatever. And he'd want to be with her physically. And she thought, you know, the Bible said that, well, you know, I can't defraud him. I I have to, you know, give him that, you know, whatever. Here's the thing. No, you don't. If he leaves, if she leaves, you're not under bondage, meaning you're not obligated to give them what's owed to them if they were there. That doesn't mean you're no longer married. That doesn't mean that you're not bound. You're still bound. You're still married. You should still remain unmarried or be reconciled. But look, if she leaves, guys, you're not due to give her benevolence. And if he leaves, ladies, you're not due to give him benevolence. You don't have to obey him. You don't have to, you know, honor him like you would if you were together. And you're debt sure not due to have to be with him physically when he wants to show up once every six months. That's what Paul is teaching. He says, look, if your husband departs, let him depart. You're no longer under bondage. You don't have to wash his clothes. You don't have to, you know, be with him physically. You don't have to honor him and respect him if he leaves you. You're not in bondage, but guess what? You're still bound you're still married. And what that means is that your options are that you are to remain unmarried or that you are to be reconciled to your wife. So I want you to, I hope that makes sense. And I hope you understand this verse is not teaching like, Well, if they leave you, then you're not under bondage. That means that you can go and remarry. Show me where he said that. Show me in the Bible where it says that. All over in the Bible, God is saying, don't remarry, don't remarry, don't remarry. I hate divorce, I hate divorce. I hate putting, away. go to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 19. Hopefully that made sense. If you have any questions, of course, you're welcome to ask me about it. I just want you to understand when he says that you're not in bondage, that doesn't mean that, oh, you're free now because the word for marriage is bound. You're still bound, but you're not in bondage. You're not obligated to give them that due benevolence. You're not obligated to give them that due physical relationship. Matthew chapter nineteen. Now let me say this, because we're talking about divorce and we're on the subject. There is one exception in the Bible for divorce. There's one exception. You say, "Oh, you're being liberal. You just got done." Look, I'm, look here. Let me explain something to you. Our stand here at Ready Baptist Church is, if the Bible says it, that's what we believe. All right. I don't care what anybody else says or what anybody else thinks or whatever. If that's what the Bible says, that's what we believe. And there is an exception to divorce. I'll show it to you. Matthew 19, verse 9. Matthew 19, verse 9. The Bible says this, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife... Notice what he says. Here's the exception. Except it be for fornication. And shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So doesn't it sound like the Bible is pretty consistent? If you you marry another, you're committing adultery. If you marry her that is put away, you're committing adultery. But he says there's one exception. The exception is except for fornication. Now, let me say something. What it doesn't say is except for adultery. Okay? Because what's adultery? Adultery is when someone who's married goes out and has a physical relationship with someone that they're not married to. What's fornication? Fornication is when individuals before they're married have a physical relationship before marriage. The Bible says that you could divorce someone. And keep in mind that Jesus said, for the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to write a bill of divorce. So he says, I'm allow- we allowed you to do this. God said, we allowed you to do this, but I don't like it. I'd rather you just forgive her. I'd rather you just forgive him. I'd rather you just, you know, show mercy to each other since you're committing your life to this person. But if you have to, here's what he's saying: If you get married and you find out that she was not a virgin or he was not a virgin before the entire thing is done, you can put them away for fornication. But here's here, please understand. Look, if you're going to play this game, you got to know all the rules. All right. The exception to divorce is fornication. But it must happen, the divorce must happen before consummation. say, so what are you talking about? Well, look, we have to allow the Bible to teach us what is being taught here. Go to Matthew chapter number one. Jesus taught that you can put her away except it be for fornication, right? And then we're given an example of this in the book of Matthew or in the, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter one, and we're given an example of what this means. And it, the perfect example in scripture for you to understand this is the Christmas story of Mary and Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 1:18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Now, I want you to notice that word espouse there. We use the word espouse, you know, we're starting to use the word espouse a little differently in our modern vocabulary, but the archaic. Definition of the word espouse, The way it would have been used in the 1600s is that they were married. Is marriage? Spouse means that they were married, and I'll prove it to you from the text. But I want you to understand: they were not engaged. They were not engaged to be married. They were married. Mary was espoused to Joseph, but I want you to notice something before they came together. So though they, had, they were married in the sense that the ceremony had been held, the vows had been done, the commitment and the uh, covenant had been entered into, they had not yet consummated the marriage. She was, Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. Notice what it says, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So here's what Joseph knows. He knows he married a young lady. He knows he went into a covenant with a young lady. He knows that he held a ceremony with a young lady. He knows that he's legally espoused to a young lady. But he also knows that he's not yet been with this young lady physically, and now she's pregnant. Now she's expecting a child. Now obviously we know the story, but he didn't. He, he might, he's not reading the book of Matthew, okay? He's living the book of Matthew. Right? you got a young man here. You got a why? All of a sudden, your wife's pregnant. You've not yet been with her. Notice verse 19. Then Joseph, notice what it says. Just to prove to you that they're married. Joseph, but I not say her fiance. Joseph, her husband. They're married. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Now, I want you to notice what it says here. Because the Bible is going to tell us, the Bible says he's a just man, meaning he's a right man. What he's doing is, is, is good. It's not, he's not being evil here. He's within his right. Notice what he says. Being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded. The word minded means he was intending or wanting to. He was thinking about how to go about, notice, to put her away privately. Joseph says, I just married this girl. I've not yet been with her and I found out she's pregnant. He said, you know what? I think I'm going to put her away. You he said, was Joseph wrong? No, because the Bible says that he could put away his wife except to be for fornication. And this would be fornication. If she truly was pregnant of another man, that means she wasn't a virgin. That means that she was not, you know, she was, she, she was not pure when he married her. He, she would have had to have been with another man. Obviously, we know that's not what happened with Mary. She, the conceiving was of the Holy Ghost. We get that. Noise verse 20. But while he thought on these things, You know, something we can learn from Joseph here is that he didn't take rash action. He took the time to think about stuff. And that's how we should be when we have to make decisions, you know. He says, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary. Notice what he says, thy wife. Notice, they're married. He didn't say, your fiance. He said, no, your wife. You guys are married. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. She was a virgin, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Notice, they were married. They were already married. But, notice verse 25, and knew her not. What does that mean? You don't have to turn there, but that knew, that word knew, is the same word there in Genesis 4.1 when it says, and Adam, knew Eve his, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived. That word knew is often used in Scripture to talk about that physical relationship between a man and a woman. And it says that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. And here it says that he knew her not. So he had he was not with her, Till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So he had, he wasn't with her physically until Jesus was born. And we know that obviously he was with her after that because she, she, they had four other you know siblings, and they four, uh, Jesus had four other brothers, and he had uh, several sisters. So obviously she had children after that. She wasn't a perpetual virgin like the Catholic Church teaches, but he wasn't with her until she'd been married. So here's what the Bible says. If you get married, meaning you walk down the aisle, you make the covenant, you say the vows, you enter the covenant, you, you do it civilly, you, you know, sign the marriage certificate, you do everything you're supposed to, but before you've consummated the marriage, you find out that he is not has not been faithful, or she has not been faithful, then God says that you can get a divorce save for fornication, but you have to consummate the marriage, because he's saying it's it's very highlighted here, the fact that they had not been together, they'd not been together, they'd not been together, and you say, well, how does that work? And here's the thing, other cultures are different when it comes to their marriage, especially in ancient, you know, whatever, ancient Israel, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, you know, In our culture, it's you know a marriage ceremony is basically it all happens in one day. I mean, you have the ceremony that day and that night they're on their honeymoon. Not all cultures are like that, but I'll give you some examples where this even applies in our culture. You know, I know that you know I've dealt with with this in the past, and I know that other pastors in our movement have dealt with this. Where today I'll give you a couple examples, just practically where this works. You know, you've got these military marriages. You know, in the military, you get paid a certain amount of money. But if you get married, you don't have to live on base. You can live off base, which means that you get additional money, you know, uh, to be able to live on base. And then if you have a family, you get additional money for groceries or whatever. So in the military, you actually make more money if you're married. So you know what a lot of military people do? They, you know, some guy finds some girl. Unfortunately, today, now, probably just some guy finds some other guy, you know. But they go down and they get married, but they're not really married. Like the, the 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 male and the female are not actually romantically involved together. They just go down and legally get married so that they can make more money. And they just split it. It's like a business agreement. You know, and by the way, that's fraud. You know, that's not legal. But people will do that. And you say, well, you know, what happens if years later that person wants to get married and wants to divorce that person uh, and they're saved? Would that be a lot? Well, here's the thing. If they never to the marriage, it's not a marriage. They can get divorced. And be remarried. Now look, I'm not advising people to do that. I'm just saying that happens. You know, or how about this? People, you know, you have these immigration marriages where someone will marry someone just to bring them into the country. You know, and they're not really married and they don't consummate the marriage. They just go down and do it legally. Well, look... I'm not saying people should do that. And by the way, that's fraud too, okay? And people shouldn't do that and that's wrong and that's, you know, lying and being deceitful. But you know what? That person could divorce that individual if they never consummated the marriage. Or how about this? You know, this doesn't happen a lot in our day and age. But back, you know, in in a different time in in America, back in the 40s and the 50s, during the time of, you know, World War I and World War II, it was common for young men, I mean, literally as they're getting ready to go get on a boat and be deployed, you know, and go fight some war for four or five years, to just get married, right? You know, right there and then, you know, say the vows and then they get on the plane. They get on the, you know, and they never consummate the marriage. They just get married so that they can say, like, you know, we're we're real about this and we believe, you know, I'm going to come back or whatever. And, you know, and here's the thing, and hopefully this has never happened, but if that young man came back four years later and she's pregnant, well, obviously she wasn't, you know, if he hasn't consummated that marriage, then he could get a divorce. That's what the Bible is teaching. But look, if you've already been married for like five years, you've consummated the thing, look, you're married. You're stuck. That's it. You say, well, what if I get divorced? Then you need to remain unmarried, or you need to be reconciled to yourself. Well, what if she left me? Or what if he left me? Then you're not under bondage. You don't have to wash his clothes and make him breakfast. But you know what? You're still bound. You're still married. And you're supposed to remain unmarried, and you're supposed to, or be reconciled to your spouse. And look, I realize that what I just preach is not popular. It doesn't make me popular. If I wanted to be popular, I'd get up here and say, oh, just get divorced, and it's fine, and God bless you, and we, there'd be a lot more people here tonight, or whatever. But that's what the Bible says. And we are, you know, going to be loyal to the Word of God. So go, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So that's the advice for the divorcees. Let's real quickly talk about the advice for the widows. The advice for the widows. Now, this is kind of interesting. I think it's interesting. I hope you'll think it's, man, I'm already out of time. Good night. All right, let's try to do this quickly, all right, because I don't want to spend another week in 1 Corinthians 7. And I think you'll find this interesting, too. In 1 Corinthians 7, and, you know, especially you ladies, you know, that are married, you know, you need to listen up right now because you might find yourself in this situation one day, you know, things might get out of hand and you might kill them. And then you'll be a widow, all right? And you'll need to know what, what that means, all right? If you are able to not get caught or whatever. First Corinthians 7, look at verse 8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows. He's going to give advice to... He's giving advice to singles and widows. He said, it is good for them. Good for who? For the singles and the widows. He said, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Now, when he says that, what is he talking about? Well, look at verse 25. He says, now, concerning virgins, talking about singles... I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Paul said, I have been faithful. You say, faithful in what? In in virginity. Because he says, now concerning virgins, and then he says, I'm just telling you what I think you should do because I have obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful in that area. So Paul was a single man. And this is what he told widows. He's told widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Here's what he's telling widows. And look, this goes, you know, this is different than... A lot of the teaching I've heard from pastors, and some pastors teach something different, and God bless them, I love them, I'm not mad at them, but this is not, you know, this is just how I see it in Scripture. Paul is telling widows that it's good for them if they remain single. He's, notice verse 8, I say therefore to the unmarried widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, meaning they abide single. Look at verse 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, meaning you're a widow, she is at liberty to marry to whom she will. So look, if your husband dies, you can marry whoever you want. you Your liberty to marry whom she will, only in the Lord, meaning you're supposed to marry someone who's saved, verse 40, but she is happier. Notice what he says. Talking about the widows. She is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the Spirit of God. What's his judgment? His judgment is you'd be better off, you'd be happier... If you were single. Now go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. You find the T books, Second Timothy, 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy 5. Because usually what's preached from 1 Timothy 5 is that widows need to get remarried. You have to remarry. You cannot remain single. But if you study 1 Corinthians 7 in its context, you'll find that Paul was teaching that widows, that it would be good for widows if they remain single. But here's what you need to understand. Paul. In First Timothy, does teach that widows should get married. Let's look at it real quickly. First Timothy 5, look at verse 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score. What's three score? That's 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Notice, what he, notice verse 11. But the younger widows refuse. But well, when they have begun to wax and wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith, and with all they learn to be idle. He's saying, look, a problem with uh, someone who's a widow is that they, they could get into these things of being idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, in busybody, speaking of things which they ought not. What's sad is that some women that are married are that. Look at verse fourteen. I will therefore that the younger women now. Again, this is, he's saying, the reason that he says younger women are not widows is because this applies to all young women. But the context is widows. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. I will, therefore, that the younger women, the context is younger widows, that the younger widows marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So in 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells the younger widows, get married. In 1 Corinthians 7, he tells the widows, hey, it's okay if you want to be single, so is there a contradiction here? What's the problem? Well, you, again, it always goes back to the context. You've got to understand the context. What is it that Paul is saying? Does he want them to remain single? Does he want them to get married? And here's the thing. He's telling them it'd be better for you to stay single because he tells everybody that. It'd be better for everybody to stay single if you can serve God like I serve God. But he says this. The widows, the younger widows, have to marry... If there's one condition, what is that condition? Well, let's look at the context real quickly. First Timothy 5, verse 3. Notice what he says. Honor. Now, whenever you see the word honor in the Bible, that's always a financial term. When the Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother, it means that you are to care financially for them when they are no longer to care for themselves. And that's a whole other summary we can prove that. The Bible talks about giving a pastor double honor. You know, it's in the context, if you look at it, it's talking about, you know... Uh, uh, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn he's talking about working and he's talking about paying them now notice what he says he says honor widows that are widows indeed the bible teaches that the church is supposed to care for widows now any widow no widows indeed what does that mean what does it mean to be a widow indeed we'll look at verse 4 but if any widow have children or nephews let them learn first to show piety at home. What's piety? It means to show them religious love, right? He says, let them learn first to show piety at home and to, notice this word, requite. You see the word requite there? Requite their parents. What does the word requite mean? It means make appropriate return for favor, service, or wrongdoing. That's what the word requite means. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you owe your parents. He's saying, listen. The, the children and the nephews need to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable for God. All, remember, all, look, and, and we don't think about this, but you know, I look at my little daughter, Ruthie, who's two years old, and you know the thing about Ruthie? Is that if my wife didn't feed her, she would never eat. I mean, not breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You know, if my wife didn't change her diaper, if I didn't change her diaper, no one would change her diaper. She'd never, you know, if we didn't bathe her, she wouldn't bathe herself. She wouldn't care for her. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, for years and years and years and years and years, mom and dad cared for you when you weren't able to and you owe them. And when they are no longer able to care for themselves. Because people get to the age where they can't care for themselves anymore. He says, you owe them. He says, if any, notice verse 4, but if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. Verse 5, now she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, what's it mean to be desolate? Meaning she's empty. She doesn't have anyone to care for her. Trusteth in God and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Look at verse 8. But if any, notice the context of what he's saying. But if any, provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house. But we always talk about wife and children there, and that definitely applies. But the context is about taking care of your widowed mother. Or your widowed grandmother, or your widowed aunt, or whatever. But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old. Now you say, well, Pastor Matt, you said the church is supposed to take care of widows. Yes, but there are some qualifications. All right. Number one, she has to have no one else that cares for her. So if she has nephews or or children, then they must care for her. They need to requite their parents because they owe them. She has to be desolate, meaning that no one is there to care for them. But number two, she has to be three score years old. Look at verse nine again. Let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old, because so the church does not doesn't need to care for you know a thirty year old widow. He's saying, look, the widows that the church cares for are the ones that are sixty years are sixty years old and up, having been. And by the way, you know, ladies. You know, according to the Bible, you're considered young if you're, you know, 59 or low. So that should be encouraging some of you. Having been, there are more qualifications. Notice what she says. <laughs> Having been the wife of one man. So the widow who's divorced, and it was a wife of two men, doesn't qualify for this. There's a woman that has been married to one man, the same man her whole life. Having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, meaning she has a reputation of, of of working hard, if she have brought up children, that means her children have to be brought up right in the nurture and admonition of the Lord That they that we can see them. This is similar to the pastoral qualifications. In fact, part of me believes that this is God trying to tell you if your pastor and your pastor's wife has been good to you and has served you and he dies and there's no one to care for her, you should be caring for her. And obviously not just the pastor's wife, but any woman that means these qualifications. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, meaning she's cared for people that come to the church that aren't, that are foreigners or not from here, she's made herself available to serve them and help them. If she have washed the saints' feet, again talking about serving them and you don't have to go wash anybody's feet, all right. If she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. So again, she has to be sixty years old and up. She has to have a uh only been married one time. She needs to have children that are walking, you know, that she raised right, and her children also have to be out of the picture. So, you know, for, she raised godly children, but they died or, the, or whatever. And, and in first century Christianity, this was common for people to die, you know, for women to be left desolate. Look at verse 11. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattles also busybodies. Speaking things which they ought not, I will therefore let the young women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary, to speak reproachfully. All of that is the context. Verse 15. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Notice verse 16. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. What the word relieve means? It means to take away the burden, to give them support. Let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged. Okay? So the church should not be taking care of a widow that has children that can care for her. She needs to be desolate, 60 years old and up, and not been divorced, been the the wife of one man, raised up children that are godly, and have a reputation of serving the Lord. He says, if they don't meet that, let not the church be charged that it, the church, may relieve them that are widows indeed. And you know what? At Verity Baptist Church, if there's ever a widow that's 60 years old and up and meets all those qualifications, we will care for her financial needs. If she has no one to care for her, her husband died, her children died, if, if, there's, if she's desolate and she's godly, we will take care of all her financial needs. We will, you say, why would you do that? Because that's what the Bible says to do. And you say, can you afford that? Well, I'll, I'll probably have to fire Brother Stuckey but you know, we'll or something. You know, I don't know, but we'll do it. You know, or we're, we're going to do it. And here's what I believe: if God ever brought this to us, then God will give us the means to do it. You know, and God will help us to do it. But here's so so. Let's get back to our first Corinthians seven. So, what is the deal? Are they supposed to get married or not? Here's what I believe. All right, Paul is teaching that widows that are that are are younger than sixty years old should remarry if they are in financial need if your husband dies you're 30 35 40 50 years old your husband dies and and you are not financially able to care for yourself then the bible doesn't say that we should care for you as a church and of course we'll help people out you know while they're struggling but the bible says that you know a 28 year old widow a 35 year old widow if she can't financially support herself then she needs to remarry She needs to marry a man that can take care of her financial needs. That's what the Bible says. But in 1 Corinthians 7, he said it'd be better if they remained single. So here's what I believe he's saying. He's saying if there's a widow... Who's financially able to be single and not have to be supported by the church or or another man, then Paul says you're free to be single. And you know what? Honestly, you know, my wife and I talk about these things. You know, we talk, and my wife, you know, and I don't make these decisions for her because obviously I'll be dead. But, um, you know, if I die, my wife has decided, you know, she's chosen and I didn't tell her to do this or anything, but that she doesn't want to get remarried, especially while we have young children. You know, like if I die tomorrow, You know, we still have young children in the home. She wouldn't want to bring in some guy into that, you know, with young girls and young ladies or whatever. So she would remain a married. But here's the thing. She would have to get married if there was not a financial way for her to do it. Now, you know, we, you know, I have life insurance. So if if I die, she should have, Lord willing, enough money to be able to survive. So she could just choose to remain single, you know, if she wants to. Now, I told my wife when we got our life insurance, I said, look, I put a clause in there that if you get married, the money goes away, all right, because I'm not going to support you and, and your new, you know, and, uh, and of course, her response is, oh, okay, so I need to spend all the money before I get married, which uh, I guess, you know, I don't know how that works. Anyway, I'm just kidding, of course, I'm kidding, but the idea is this, if you find yourself a widow, as a male or female, and you're able to care for yourself, you know, um, you're, you're six, 60 years old and, and less, but you're able to care for yourself financially, your husband left you with some life insurance or whatever, then I don't believe you have to get married. I believe Paul is teaching that it in would be better if you didn't get married. He says, I, I, I advise you to stay single. But he does say, if, you're, if you don't meet those qualifications, you're less than 60 years old and you've got financial needs, then he does say, let the younger women marry. And, he's, and the context is that you'd be taken care of financially. And then, of course, any widow that's 60 years old and older who meets those qualifications, then the church, the Bible says the church, should care for uh, her needs. First Corinthians 7. Go, go back to 7 real quickly. I'm, I'm just going to fly through the rest of this, but I just want you to see it. So we saw how he gives advice to singles, he gives advice to married couples, he gives advice to divorcees, and he gives advice to widows. Then he, he also has a section in this chapter where he just gives advice to everybody. And let me just really quickly give it to you because I'm out of time already. But let me give it to you really fast, all right? I wasn't here for the weekend, so I feel like I got to preach to you or something, all right? So forgive me. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 17. You don't have Spanish tomorrow or PE, for those of you. So, you know, you get to sleep in a little bit. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. And you'll find that the advice about to give applies to everybody. Singles, married, divorced, widows, what's the advice? Look at verse 18. If any man, if, if, uh, excuse me, verse 18, is any man called being circumcised? Called, talking about you were brought into salvation, you were called into salvation while you were circumcised? He says, let him not become uncircumcised. Now, I don't know how you do that, but I, I think it's just kind of tongue-in-cheek here. Saying, look, if you were called being circumcised, you don't have to become uncircumcised. He says, Is any man called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Verse 19, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. Verse 20, let every man abide in the same calling where he was called. He said, if you were called uncircumcised, then just abide in that. If you were called being circumcised, then he says, abide in that. He's using that as an illustration. Look at verse 21. Now he gets into some practical application. He says, Are thou called being a servant? Care not for it. Now, when he says care not for it, he says, Don't be burdened about it. Don't think like, Oh, I'm a servant. I don't have my freedom. He says, Look, if you're called being a servant, care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, he says, Look, if you can get your freedom, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also, he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Here's what he's saying. Whether you're free or whether you're bond... He says, look, if you're, called, if you're saved, you're God's servant. And if you've got an earthly master, then you ought to serve him like you serve God. So he said, just don't care for it. Don't get worried about it. Verse 23, ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Notice verse 24, brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. He says, wherein, therein. He says, wherein you are called, Therein abide with God. Look at verse twenty-seven. For sake of time, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. He says, if you were called, if your wherein was called while you were married, then therein abide with God. He said, if you're bound to your wife, seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. And here's what he's the advice he's trying to give everybody. He's trying to tell everybody, just be content in whatever state you find yourself in. Because you know what every single person complains about? I'm not married. You know what? A lot of married people complain about. I'm not single, and divorced people. I can't. You know, Paul keeps telling me I can't do this, and widows. Oh, why would my husband? And here's what he's saying. He's just telling everybody: whatever state you find yourself in, just be content. Paul said, "I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content." And you know what? That's advice that'll work for everybody: single, married, divorced, widow. He says, "Look, wherein, therein." wherein he has called you, therein abide with God. That's why I to now have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for all this great teaching that we can learn from the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to receive it, Lord. And I realize that there are some people that are just not happy where they are in life. And I get that. And we are all trying to do better. But Lord, help us to learn to be content in the areas we find ourselves in, Lord. I pray you strengthen the marriages in this room. I pray that you would uh, please help the singles, Lord, and as they look for spouses and mates, Lord, that you give them wisdom and discernment. And Lord, I pray for those that have maybe been divorced, that you, that, that you give them the strength, Lord, to remain unmarried, that you'd help them to find contentment in that state, Lord, and, and those that are widowed and going through the struggles and trials uh, of, of losing a, a loved one, Lord. I can only imagine how hard that is. I pray that you would strengthen them and be with them, Lord, and help us to learn to be content. In every area of life. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name.